I hadn't heard that song before about an hour ago. It's a great one, isn't it? Lord, haste the day when all is as it should be. That was a great song. Well, good morning. My name is Chris, if we haven't met. Um, I'm a pastor here at the church. And another hat that I wear is I serve on a board of directors at a little children's home down in Juarez, Mexico. And we had our annual board meeting on Friday. So I was just there. And oh, I wish, I wish y'all could have been there. You know, I wish that we could have just had everybody there as you got to hear the stories of what God is doing. It was just so exciting. One of the stories I want to share with you today, um, they were talking about a time when one of their newer guys, they've got a guy named Christian, a young man, and what he's doing now, he's, he's pouring his full-time efforts into the spiritual development of these kids. So he's trying to mentor them and disciple them, and, and it's fantastic that they have somebody like that there to be able to do this with these kids. Well, there was a, a particular day where he was going to come and he was going to share from the book of Esther. And he thought, this will be really good for these kids because Esther didn't have a mom or dad. You know, she was an orphan. And so he, he was introducing this book of Esther, this teaching that he was going to give for the kids. And he, he opened up with the question. He said, how many of you don't have a father? None of them raised their hand. He's like, well, they obviously didn't hear me. My question, you know, it happens from time to time with kids. And, and these are little kids, they're, you know, elementary or younger. And he said, how many of you don't have a dad? None of them raised their hand. And he's like, I know all of you kids. You don't have a dad. You don't have, none of you have dads. And finally, this little boy raised his hand. And he's kind of like, of course we all have dads. Or we all have a father. God's our father. I know we got a lot to cover today, but can I show you a little clip that comes out of that? There's, um, there's uh, for the last Father's Day, they, they, they took this account and then they just put together a quick little video. So take a look at this. These are kids from the home. Cuando se papá, a veces se va a mis hijos y no 
church you're part of that and a lot of you know those kids and recognize those faces but i just wish you know i wish i had a pastor camp sometimes you know those little cameras they put on the helmets when they go skiing down or skateboarding or whatever i wish i had a pastor camp so every time we did something like this i had a chance for everyone to see that or when we went on a teen retreat we could put on the pastor camp so you could watch what god's doing in the lives of these teenagers or those different times where you get the note that talks about the difference the church is making in people's lives that you could, you could see that. And, oh, I wish I would have had a pastor cam last week when we launched this series. Because we opened this series that we're in now talking about, oh, if we could just have our church be safe in all the right ways. If this could be a church where it is safe for people to come here and put their lives back together. If their lives are a mess. And you were all like, and, and when I talked about, you know, hey, could this be a safe place where, where those who have real questions about God, is God for real? Is the Bible really a reliable document? And you're like, yeah, let's make a place safe for them. And then when we talked about how for those who, who, are, who want to explore every corner of the Bible, for those who, who are like, I, I want to go to the controversial passages. I want to go to the ones that are hard to understand. I don't want to go have any corner of the Bible that we don't explore. You know, can this be a safe place for me? And you're like, yep, let's do it. Just like some of you are doing now. I love it. I was so inspired. I'm so encouraged. And, and when we said, okay, specific to our series, can we make this a safe place as best we can for people with the same sex orientation to make new friends and experience real community, to learn and grow and be stretched in their faith, to examine the Bible and to worship God. Can we do that? And you're like, yeah, we can. As much as we, it depends on us, we'll do our best. I saw the nods and I saw the smiles. That is inspiring. That is encouraging. I wish I had a pastor, Cam. And you didn't flinch. You didn't flinch when we looked at this passage. You didn't squirm. Take a look at this one. This is what we looked at last week, this passage. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We got to that part and you didn't flinch. And we kept reading you and you didn't flinch. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. He has committed to us what? What's he committed to us? The message of reconciliation. You didn't squirm. And that's inspiring because I know that you know what that means. It means we can't live here in the fallout shelter. If we're going to do the message of reconciliation, we can't all huddle together with people who see things the way we see things. We're going to get called out there to the war zone. You know? And, and, and it's, it's our hope and our prayer that we could, in the midst of all of the battle that's raging around us, 
would God do something beautiful in and through broken people like us? And you didn't squirm. Your, your eyes are saying, we're in. We're in. If we're going to be faithful to the challenge that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to give to us, then we're going to find ourselves bringing a message of reconciliation to a whole lot of people who don't want to hear it. There's a war going on out there. And people who are at war, they don't want reconciliation, right? When you're at war, you don't want reconciliation. You want to win. You want to defeat your enemies. You want unconditional surrender. You want to humiliate. You want to decimate. You want to ultimately eliminate those you're at war against when there's a war. Well, I read and reread First and Second Corinthians yesterday on my flight home. And in those letters, Paul goes to great lengths to explain that our message of reconciliation, it is going to be a stumbling block for some, and it's going to be foolishness for others. Paul isn't naive. He is well aware that there will be people, lots of them, who don't want to hear what we have to say. Some of them will even react to our efforts with intense hostility. Jesus had his haters. If we follow him, we will too even with a message of reconciliation. But that doesn't negate the fact that there's still a message that needs to be proclaimed. So for the next five weeks, including this one, we're going to do our best to clarify what is this message of reconciliation that we bring, and then how do we proclaim it in a God-honoring way? We're going to do our best. It's not going to be perfect, but we'll do our best to do those things. Well, today what we're going to focus on as a, a portion of this series is this, the relationship between Reconciliation and identity. Now, we could spend six months on this. We're going to spend about half an hour, um, but we'll do our best in the time that we've got. Today, we're going to explore the relationship between reconciliation and identity. There's a place to write that down. And, and, and you can't do, the reason it's so important for us to spend a week, at least a week on this, you can't do reconciliation well if you're not acutely aware of and highly sensitive to the concept of identity. Now, this morning's teaching has two parts. As I tried to pray and say, okay, of the... 8 million things that we could talk about under the heading of identity. What should we focus on? I feel like there's two things that if we can get these things across that, um, that we've done as much as we can do today. And the first one is this, that to try to encourage as best I can that we be a people who don't engage in othering. We'll talk about that first. And then we'll move on from that to say, okay, what are we pointing people to? Not just what are we against. What are we pointing people to? What we're pointing them to is Identity in Christ. So that's my hope, these two pieces, that we can come away saying, okay, I've got a renewed passion, renewed commitment, not to other people. And also we're going to try to point people towards identity in Christ. If we can do that, then I'll count that as a win. All right, let's start with the othering part. Othering, you might want to write this down. Othering, it's a reconciliation killer. Othering is a reconciliation killer. If you're not familiar with the term, othering is the practice of ascribing an identity to an opposing group that may or may not be true for everyone in that group. It's basically stereotyping those you don't agree with and ascribing negative, generally, characteristics to everyone in that group rather than going as individuals. Othering has been around as long as there's been others to other, right? Romeo's people othered who? Juliet's people. The Hatfields othered who? The McCoys. Hitler's followers othered the Jews. And Americans, we used to other the Soviet Union, until Rocky set us straight. In Rocky IV, 
that inspirational speech after he put on the Stars and Stripes shorts, beat up a Russian. He said, don't do that to each other because I just told you not to. And so we don't do it anymore. But with all those other groups, they othered. If you're in a war, you other your enemy, right? If you're in a war, you other them. You other them so that you can justify your hostility, you can motivate your populace, and you do so by dehumanizing, by demonizing those you're at war against. You other them. But how many of you know that when you start to other people, you're going you're gonna to engage in actions and attitudes that are going to lead to mistaken identities, right? And mistaken identities, when you start ascribing a mistaken identity to somebody... There can be tragic consequences. I thought of a story from the news. This is a, a story. It, was, it hit the news about a year ago. About a year ago, a man in New Fairfield, Connecticut, he got an emergency call from his sister at 1 in the morning. So a guy gets the call, one, 1 in the morning, gets a call from his sister. Well, his sister just lived next door to him. So the guy's name was Jeff. Jeff grabs his gun. He goes over to his sister's house. It's all dark. It's 1 in the morning. On his way to his sister's house, he comes across a masked guy. So masked guy pops out. Jeff's got his gun. It's a masked guy. What do you do when masked guy pops out? You shoot masked guy, right? So Jeff shoots masked guy. Some of you might have read that story in the news about a year ago. Anybody read that one? Mask comes off. He had just shot his 15-year-old adopted son, Tyler. I'll say it again. Ascribing a mistaken identity to someone can have tragic consequences. You can find yourselves in a war with an enemy who's not your enemy. Now, for the record, categories are important. You have to make categories. You have to, you have to group people and things. You have to. But we have to remember that those categories are limited. Right? Most of us that come here, um, we all, most of us live in Minnesota. Well, Minnesota is called a blue state. Does that mean we all vote the same here? No, we don't all vote the same. We're, we're in the land of 10,000 lakes. Does everyone here own a boat? No, we don't all own a boat. Minnesota is home of a world championship team. Some of you are going, we are? Yes, we are. What's the team? World championship? The Lynx. I haven't seen one Lynx jersey in here ever, Right? You know, and so they're, they're, these categories are only so helpful. You're from Minnesota. That only tells you so much if you're from Minnesota. It doesn't say that we're all identical really in any area. Now, in your bulletins, let's make this more specific. Please pull out this blue sheet. And if you're um, uh, listening online, I'll try to explain this blue sheet. At the top of the sheet, it says othering. And it asks you this question, which of the following adjectives describe which of the following groups? Now, the adjectives are... Things like generous, selfish, accepting, judgmental, caring, cold, informed, ignorant, tolerant, intolerant, monogamous, promiscuous, moral, and immoral. So that's all in the categories going down on the left-hand side. Now across the top, we've got categories of people, some different others. We have rich, poor. We have Republican, Democrat. We have Christian, non-Christian. We have heterosexual. And then we have LGBT. We're going to use that a couple times throughout our series. Anyone know what that stands for? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Now, one of the reasons we're going to try to use that phrase a little bit more, or gay, is because a number of people feel that homosexual is an offensive term. And if you're trying not to other, you try to listen to people, and you try not to use terms that are inflammatory as best you can. So we're going to, as best we can, try to, to, to 
apply that in our own lives. So we've got these different adjectives going down the left. We have these different um, groups going across the top. Now, if I were a pollster, or let's, let me change my wording on that. If there was a pollster who was handing this to you, I would hope that none of you could fill this out. I would hope you'd look at this and go, how, 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 can, I, how can I possibly fill that out? Why do, you hope, why, do I, why do I hope that? Why do I hope that you couldn't fill this out? Talk to me. You'd have to check them all. Well, you'd, have to, yeah, you'd either have to check them all or, or, or be able to go, I, how do I do this? Because some of them are going to fit some people and some are going to not fit other people. I would hope you couldn't fill this out because you'd have to get to know individuals. And you wouldn't be able to just ascribe categorically to this grouping all of these qualities. What's scary to me is that you could hand out this sheet in a lot of circles and they could fill it out really easy, including a lot of churches. And just because it's easy doesn't mean it's accurate. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing that there's folks who could take something like this and just go, well, of course, they are like this. They are like this. And what generally people who would fill this out, if it was easy for you to fill it out, it's because you would probably ascribe positive traits to the groups you're in and negative traits to the ones you're not. And you would be engaging by doing so in othering. One of the most important rules that comes if you're going to try to do reconciliation, one of the most important rules in reconciliation is seek to understand before what? Trying to be understood or judging. Yeah. Seek to understand before trying to be understood. Get to know people as individuals. Hear their stories. Get to know them. And also, another thing to do, too, is this idea of earning the right to be heard. That's so important, too. Before you have something to say to the others. Have you earned the right to be heard? When disagreements regarding same-sex orientation come up, do most people seek to understand before trying to be understood? They say all kinds of inflammatory things. You didn't vote like I voted, so therefore you must be boom, 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 boom. You don't see things eye to eye, then therefore you must be boom, 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 boom. You're one of those Christian people, you must be boom, 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 boom. So I'm not going to ask you to say this one out loud, but think in your head. If you want to be serious about the message of reconciliation, what are you doing about this? What are you doing to say, do I know people in these categories? Have I sat down with them? Have I talked to them? Or am I just forming conclusions based on what other people say and, and stereotypes? Reconciliation is hard, isn't it? The answer to that is yes. It is. You can. It's hard. It is hard work. Reconcilers are bridge builders. We're bridge builders. And if you're a bridge builder, that is a lot harder than just building a road. Bridge building, you've got a gap that somehow needs to be bridged. And, and there's sometimes currents and things like that that, you have, that are working against what you're trying to do. Reconciliation is hard work because it involves bridge building. And let me now take this to the next step. Bridge building, as hard as that is, that's the easy part of reconciliation. As hard as bridge building is, seeking to understand before trying to be understood, really trying to listen, getting to know individuals, as hard as that is, that's the easy part. That was part one. Don't other others. 
That's the easy part. Now let's move on to the harder part. As, as reconcilers, this is what we're pointing people to. We're, we're not just pointing people only towards, I'm okay, you're okay. I mean, that, that, that's not really what we're trying to do. We're not trying to just make friends. Biblical reconciliation, it goes beyond that. As important as that is, reconciliation, biblical reconciliation, the kind of reconciliation that Paul is talking about, it occurs when identities are firmly anchored in Christ. That was one of the other things that popped out as I was rereading 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Paul, every other word is Christ. For him, it's all about Christ. As a person who wasn't walking with Christ. He just, it was all about Christ. And reconciliation, the kind that he's describing, the kind that through the Holy Spirit he's pointing us towards, it occurs when identities are firmly anchored in Christ. If we're going to opt into Paul's challenge to bring a message of reconciliation, it is vitally important for us to catch a picture of what that looks like. And I think Jesus did a really good job of that in a story that we haven't looked at for a long time. Jesus told a story that paints a vivid picture of what reconciliation does and doesn't look like. It's a story of two lost sons and a loving father who reminded the sons of who they were. I checked my notes. It's been three years since we've looked at that story together as a family. How time flies. We spent three weeks just on this story that we're going to spend now like 10 minutes on. So we're going to have to do an abbreviated version. It's an amazing story. It comes out of the book of Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to it. This is the passage we'll be looking at here for the remaining time that we've got together. I want to let you know, too, that every week I try to remember to say this. We keep a stack of Bibles here every week, and they're for you. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one as a gift. It's, that's what it's there for. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to sign anything. The Bible is there for you to keep. You can use it during the service, but we'd encourage you to take it home as a gift to you. So here we go. This is out of Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. These are the words of Jesus. This is a story that he tells. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property among his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what? I have to stop in there. Um, I don't think this is now my own commentary here because it doesn't say this in the Bible. And plus, it's a story anyway, so here we go. I'm just picturing the son had pictured probably how this was going to go. Come with deference, right, to the father. Bow down before the father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. And, you know, real 
real sincere, real dramatic. I, now I'm picture, I just had a picture I was reading this. The son is being squeezed by his dad saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Try to do the speech like that. Funny in my mind, not so much in yours. Um, so I guess that's why you stick to the text, right? Here we go. Um, but the father said to his servants, listen to this. Father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. He's found. They began to celebrate. All right, let's hit pause there. Let's talk about this younger son. Because this is a picture that Jesus gives us about reconciliation. This is, this is one picture. Reconciliation is a diamond with a lot of facets. But here's one facet that Jesus himself gives in a story about what reconciliation looks like. Unless there's any confusion about what Jesus is talking about here, this is the third. Luke 15 is three stories. That Jesus tells. Three parables. Everyone has this this motif of something valuable is lost and gets found. And then there's celebration. Three in a row. And again, unless you're just thinking, well, this could be about this, that, or the other thing. Here is what is it about. Jesus says it's about this. This comes right before what we read. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is about reconciliation. This is about people like you and I coming back to God, being reconciled with God. There's celebration when that happens, when lost sons, lost daughters, people like you and me, when we come home. Whether it's we've been away for a long time and we've been really far away from home, or whether it's we stepped away for a short period of time, not very far. When sinners come home, people like you and me, there's rejoicing. Rejoicing. That was amenable, by the way, just in case you needed to know. And when you're coming home, reconciliation isn't just I'm physically back. You know, it's not I'm in a church service. It's coming home isn't isn't so much a physical, I can put it on Google Maps kind of thing. We see it in the sun. It is he's home. His heart is back home. His mind is back home. That's reconciliation when we come home. Not just attending a service. When we come home to God, our whole person, our minds, our hearts. And how does dad react? When that happens, with amazing grace. If we did have more time, we would go into great description of why what Jesus described was so crazy. The condensed version is this. Back in the day when you dishonored your family name, that's as bad as bad gets. You, could, you don't dishonor the family name. The son dishonored the family name. And the other thing that we don't get so much in our culture, as a dad myself, I fully get this, um, there used to be a reverence for fatherhood that was out there. And, and the father was the patriarch. The father was dignified. The father was, a, in a sense, a godlike figure. You know, and so here is this dignified father. Son has dishonored the name. And what is the father doing? The father is watching and waiting for son to come home. And when son comes home, father is wearing a robe for crying out loud, has to hike the robe up so he can run down the path, throw his arm around his son, kiss him. You're home, you're home, you're home. Crazy. Amazing grace. And this is not me making up a story and saying, God is kind of like this. This is who telling the story? Jesus is telling this story. Jesus is using that imagery. There is celebration when we come back home. 
There's um, last night when I got in, I, uh, I had a quick scan through my mail to see if there's anything I needed to attend to um, before this morning, and I, j- I received a, 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 a leadership journal that I get uh, sent to me, and the cover story was on the very topic we're talking about. So I'm like, well, let me quick scan this, and here's uh, here, here's this article. The article I could relate to it really well because it was a guy who planted a church, and he happened to plant a church in Long Beach, California. And this is an account where here he is. It's his first Sunday of their new church. So they'd never had a Sunday before. First Sunday, brand new church. He gets up and he's giving his message. First message, first Sunday is a brand new church. He's giving this message and he says, um, someone interrupted the sermon while I was preaching. Excuse me, I don't mean any disrespect. This person said, I'm a lesbian. And you're talking about all this love and mercy. What does this mean for me? Put yourself in that spot a little bit. And so I'm reading this and 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 I'm thinking, okay, in that situation, what would I say? And I hope what I would do is to pray and say, God, how can I help this person? I need what you said you do in the book of Acts where you'll give the Holy Spirit, you give the words. You know? but, but the phrase that, or the thought that came into my head was, I would just say, when she asked her specific question was, what does this mean for me? I'd say, it means the same thing for you that it means for everyone else. At least that's what I thought I'd say. And I thought, well, he's got to have something better than that. <laughs> you know? So let's see what he said. And so I flipped ahead. And you know what his answer was? It means the same thing for you as anyone else. But listen to this. And I love the fact that you guys were nodding and smiling on that. Pastor Cam, I wish I could click it on. Because this is what happened in his congregation. What a beautiful thing. In his congregation, he says, then something beautiful happened. An art professor, an art professor called out, hey, nobody in here is different than anyone else in God's eyes. You should get to know me, he says. You think you're a hard case? You should get to know me. And then 10 heads over, another woman raised her voice and she goes, God loves you. You know how I know? Because he loves me. He goes, I, me, I was a homeless, alcoholic wreck. No one wanted me, but Jesus wanted me. And I know he wants you too. And then these are the words of the, the pastor. He says, that day, those who'd been forgiven much, loved much. A grace sprang up from the core of their beings and it overflowed. Wouldn't that be great if instead of ascribing all kinds of things to other people, that we could just find that common ground and all of us have some of that younger son or younger daughter in us. I have it every day multiple times where I wander away from walking with God. And I'm so glad that I have a God of amazing grace who says, welcome home. Amen. So that's the younger son. That's that's what, what... younger son, younger daughter reconciliation looks like, where we we just say, we come to a realization and it takes time for a lot of folks and some people never arrive there but we come to a place where we say Father, I've sinned against heaven and you but I'm back now teach me your ways help me to walk your path, give me your strength, help me to honor your name, that's reconciliation for all of us, it looks the same in our unique individual ways, right? 
So that's the younger son, younger daughter. But they're not the only ones in need of reconciliation in this story, right? It's often called, it's interesting that still today, um, they often will call this the parable of the lost son. There's not just one lost son. There's two lost sons. Let's look at the other lost son. Picking up where we left off, we left off on what, verse 25? Meanwhile, let's look at the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, the servant replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Well, the the older brother was overjoyed. And the older brother said, I can't wait to see him. Where is he? Woohoo! My brother is back home. Is that what he said? Old brother became angry. Older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. And again, this is now father is breaking protocol here by going out to the older brother. Older brother should be coming into him. Older brother go older, or the father goes out, pleads with him. But he answered his father, "Look." All these years, I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has... Notice son of yours, not brother of mine. When the son of yours has come, uh, has squandered, the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you've always been with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Isn't it important to pull this story out? Read it again and again and again. Anyone ever met any elder brothers or elder sisters? Absolutely. The um, the article that I was referring to earlier uh, referred to them as um, spiritual TSA agents. (laughs) That's an interesting imagery there. You know, hey, you can travel with us if you can journey with us if you can pass all of our tests. Jesus makes it clear that the old brother is lost even in his obedience. Did you hear that? Is obedience important and God-honoring? Yes. In fact, our obedience is one of the signs of sincerity of our faith. Obedience is good and God-honoring. But here's an elder brother. He's lost even in his obedience because his entire paradigm is that of slave-master. Instead of a primary identity, I'm a son of the Father, and this is my brother, of having that primary identity as a son, as a daughter of God. One of the books where I, I saw this well-articulated was this one, Washed in Waiting. I want to recommend this book highly. If you don't... Uh, if you'd like a copy of it, uh, let me know. If, you, if, you, if money's tight, we'll pick it up for you if you promise to read it. Otherwise, you can find it on Amazon. It's by an author named Wesley Hill. He's a, a young man who is a Christian with a gay orientation. And here's how he addresses this issue of identity and how you can have a primary identity that is your overarching identity. He says this on page 22. Rather than refer to someone as a homosexual... I've taken care to always make gay or homosexual the adjective and never the noun in a longer phrase, such as gay Christian or homosexual person. In this way, I hope to send a subtle linguistic signal that being gay isn't the most important thing about my or any other gay person's identity. 
I'm a Christian before anything else. My homosexuality is a part of my makeup, a facet of my personality. One day I believe, whether in this life or in the resurrection, it will fade away, but my identity as a Christian, someone incorporated into Christ's body by his spirit, that will remain. Now, subjecting our identities to a primary identity in Christ, that is a big ask, isn't it? And many of you have been there. In fact, if you're a Christian, you've been there. You've been asked to lay something down, and you continually are asked to lay something down, and it's a big ask. I'm going to lay down my career. God, I will do what you want me to do. I'll lay down my nationalistic identity, first and foremost, before you. I'll lay down my economic identity. I'll lay down my, my identity as a mom or a dad or a single person. I will lay down my identity as, as whatever. I will lay down my primary identity to you, and I'm going to make my identity in Christ, the one that informs all the rest. That is a huge ask, huge ask, which makes our message of reconciliation so difficult because why would someone say yes to that? Unless they see the Holy Spirit at work through you unless you're bringing a message from the Holy Spirit to them. You know, if, if we're doing this from the position of others, and here's where this comes full circle, if you're going to make that ask of somebody, is it coming from a place of you're an other and this is my duty? Well, how is that going to be received? Not any better than when someone comes knocking on your door with a Book of Mormon, a Quran, or whatever, Right? Is there a relationship there at all? If you're gonna you're gonna bring the message of reconciliation, you know? Are they an other? You know? Or are you an other? Because you haven't done the hard work of reconciliation. It's a big ask. Are we the kind of people that have the credibility to make that ask? Well, here's one thing that we could do. Um, I was reading another book. A guy named Justin Lee wrote a book. And he's the director of executive director of the Gay Christian Network. And in preparation for the series, I read his book. And in his book, it's similar to um, Wesley Hill, although Justin Lee lands a different place theologically. They both did a great job of describing their struggles. And as Justin Lee was describing his struggles, he grew up in a Christian home. Uh, great Christian parents, wonderful folks. And, and he grew up, and, and as he started to identify the same-sex orientation in himself, he began to, to be fearful of coming out with that because he was afraid of what would happen if he did. And when he finally did come out, his fears were realized. He felt like a misfit because in the gay community, they couldn't understand how he could be a Christian. And then in the Christian community, they had all kinds of things that they heaped on him for judgment. And so he had kind of this speech that he had in his head every time he'd identify himself as a, to, to a Christian, every time a Christian found out that he had a same-sex orientation, he had this whole big thing, this whole big speech that he felt he had to give. He had to say, okay, yes, I'm gay, but I'm a Bible-believing Christian. Um, yes, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and I'm not having sex with anybody if you're thinking that I might be doing that. And he had this whole big thing of, yes, I've read Leviticus 18 and 20. No, I don't have any issues with my dad. He just had this whole big thing that he felt like, I have to say all this stuff, or they're going to judge me on one of these points. And so he's, he, he, it was just a hard thing. Well, Justin, um, as he went into college... 
he uh, found out that there was a, in fact, he was part of a group that helped to bring a speaker to their school, Dr. Tony Campolo. Any of you ever heard him speak? You know, passionate, passionate man of God. I've had a chance to meet him. He's, he's, a, he's a great, great guy, an engaging speaker, extremely passionate about compassion and justice issues. Well, Dr. Campolo believes that the Bible limits sex uh, to the marriage of a man and a woman, but his wife um, supports gay marriage. And so Justin was fascinated by this. And he's like, how do you live under the same roof and not kill each other? You know? Because all I see is people fighting all the time. So he couldn't wait to see and hear Dr. Campolo speak. But even beyond that, he's like, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet this guy. So he gets early there to the, to the event, and he sees Dr. Campolo come in the room, so he starts to work his way over towards the room, and pretty soon he's standing face-to-face with Dr. Campolo. And so he had his speech all worked out, right? He had his speech all worked out in his head. Okay, I'm going to say this and this and this and this and this and this so I don't get judged by this guy, and then maybe I'll have a conversation with him. So he comes up, he says, Hi, I'm Justin Lee. And before he could get anything else really out of his mouth, other than... I'm, I'm, I'm a gay Christian. That's about all he got out. He didn't get up there. Tony Campolo just gives him a big hug. Boom. Says, I'm glad you're here. That's what he says. Glad you're here. I don't know why I took up 35 minutes of your time because I could have just put this up there. <laughs> Isn't this the first step? Well, actually, there's two things. I could have put just two things on the screen. This one, and let's leave this one up for a second. Isn't this the starting point, everyone? In everything, Right? glad you're here. To, to have done something in your life that was worth other people saying, hey, I want to take a step towards you. And then as they take a step towards you, for you to be sincerely glad that they did. Because you care about them as an individual. Isn't that step one? And then here's where reconciliation really happens. When that God says to that person, Isn't that when reconciliation is happening? When another person, just like all in here who are believers, when another person is received by God's amazing grace, and then God takes the person by the hand and begins to lead them on into this new life. Can we do that, church? Can we be committed to these things? Can we be committed to being a kind of people who are just, I'm glad you're here, whatever whatever is going on in your life, you know? Because we judge people for things that our society says are positive or negative, right? We just have all these things. Can we just be a people, hey, I'm glad you're here. And then can we be a people who don't just stop there, but just as the Spirit enables us, and as God provides opportunity, that we're able to say, let me introduce you to this God I serve. Well, we want to take some time now as we close this teaching today. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. So let's invite the Spirit of God by sincerely praising him through these songs. So let me pray now, and let's ask and invite God to do that through these wonderful songs. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who has revealed these truths about yourself to us. Thank you for making yourself approachable. Because anybody that's ever been in a lightning storm, anyone that's ever seen the view from a mountaintop, anyone that's ever watched a baby be born, anyone that's ever looked at the intricacies of a flower, anyone who has viewed on your creation knows of your wonder and your awesomeness. Thank you for revealing your love and your grace. So Father, great and glorious God and merciful loving Father, may you inhabit the praises of your people. Send your spirit upon us 
that as we worship you in spirit and in truth, that, that you'll speak to hearts, all of our hearts, and you'll draw us all back home as family. And Lord, as I think about how often I fight with my brothers and sisters and watch the same in, in our family, Lord, help us to be able to step back from that and to be able to just remember primarily who we are, your family, and help us to look to you as we try to love one another. So inhabit the praise of your people now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can remain standing. Here's a couple closing thoughts. Inside your bulletins, you should have found a little bookmark that says, Who I am in Christ. When you set out to follow Jesus, this bookmark, this is where he wants to take you. This is why it's an invitation. This is why it's good news. And we couldn't say all that needs to be said in in this or a thousand Sundays. But I want to try to point you towards resources like this, like, like this little sheet of cardboard that contains such great promises. There's other resources too that I put you put in your in your um, uh, green notes. I encourage you to take a look at some of those if you want to dig deeper into these issues of identity or or all these things we're talking about. I want to also say thank you so much for listening today. This doesn't happen very often where we get in a room and people really listen. But I want to let you know that that I, you have an opportunity to respond. Come and chat with me after the service if you'd like. My email is chris at emmanuelcovenant.com. It comes directly to me. If you want to say, hey, I've got concerns or I've got questions or what you said was hurtful or what you said felt misleading or what you felt or you said felt um, like you were being a hypocrite or, or whatever, send it my way. If you don't feel comfortable sending it to me, we have elders at emmanuelcovenant.com. Send it to them. We want the conversation to, to continue um, and not just be a one-sided thing. So please receive that uh, invitation. I hope you can make next week. Next week now, we're going to start to go into the scriptures and we're going to start to step gingerly towards the passages that have really divided a lot of folks. And we'll do our best to try to, to look at those uh, for what they, what they do and don't say. So that begins next week. But please, as you uh, leave today, receive this prayer. This comes from the Apostle Paul, the one who gave us that uh, message of reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray a prayer that is found in the book of Colossians, this letter he wrote to the Colossians. Let me pray that over you. Colossians 1, starting with verse 9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and great patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As you go forth, go forth in peace. Amen.